Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerrero here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 11th day of December, and the year is 2021. Um, let's get started right away. I've got a lot of material I want to cover in this audio lecture. Now, remember that the effects of melatonin uh, in regard to the immune system can be either pro or anti-inflammatory. So they can be contrarian and not contradictory, depending on reception, right, and cell valence. So in general, though, melatonin tends to be associated with immune stimulation. Now, the influence of that tryptophan-based pineal gland hormone on SIRT1 expression, now SIRT, S-I-R-T-1, that's a sirtuin, and that is a deacetylase enzyme. The influence of melatonin on that expression is, is revealed that there is a contrarian regulation. And it's evident that it's between tumor and non-tumor lineages. So by being strong suppressive in cancer, melatonin mainly stimulated CERT1 in non-transformed cells, especially in the context of aging. However, SIRT1 expression is distinct from its biological activity. SIRT2 activities are not primarily determined by the level of protein, that is, after transcription translation, but rather by NAD plus concentration, which itself depends upon many enzymes, but the one most commonly considered rate limiting for the salvage pathway is nicotinamide phosphoribosyl transferase, or NAMPT. Now, the contrast between CERT1 expression activity has been evident in a study on the effect of the breast cancer 1 early onset gene, or BRCA1, which also appears in ovarian cancer, where suppression of BRCA1 reduced CERT1 expression, but simultaneously it increased NAD concentration and therefore, pseudoparadoxically, increased CERT1 activity. So indeed, somewhat paradoxically, but we know there's no paradox in biochemistry. It's only a pseudo-paradox. Um, very common endocrinological research, BRCA1 overexpression upregulates certain expression at the transcription level and decreased NAD levels and therefore CERT1 activity. Okay, so... Here's where protein level after transcription and translation is diametrically opposed to CERT1 activity, totally related to the concentration of a cofactor for the enzyme, NAD, nicotinamide-dinucleotide, the oxidized form. Okay. So where does that enzyme fit in? Well, if you start off, this is the salvage pathway, so you start off with nicotinamide, the enzyme NAMPT, which is nicotinamide mononucleotide adenyl transferase, will take phosphorabosyl pyrophosphate, generate pyrophosphate, and nicotinamide mononucleotide. Okay, so now you have basically a ribosugar added, a, a monorib monophosphorylated ribosugar added to the nic nicotinamide nucleotide. Now, the next enzyme will take ATP and it will add 
adenosine making the dinucleotide. So that's how you make NAD or nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And then the byproduct of that also is going to be um, pyrophosphate. Okay, so you understand it's a salvage pathway. And that seems to be really important for synthesizing NAD in certain systems, particularly where NAD is used for the sirtuin one So there's a divergence about CERT1 that's associated with aging. CERT1 expression is not generally shown to be decreased in the course of aging, but rather it's shown to increase. That is the level of expression of polypeptide. Nevertheless, CERT1 activity is found to be reduced, and again, somewhat paradoxically, but not genuinely so, it's because of the lowered NAD plus levels. However, doesn't mean that positive correlations between CERT1 expression activity are always excluded in the context of aging. In a senescence-accelerated mouse model called SAMP8, CERT1 expression was found to be reduced relative to the widely isogenic control strain called SAMR1. Okay. Moreover, a number of studies have shown the effects of melatonin that increased CERT1 expression were suppressed by sirtuin inhibitors, such as sirtinol or EX527, which is a um, chemical compound that's been used for the inhibition of CERT1. Therefore, all this tells us that mandatory requirements are to either determine CERT1 activity and NAD concentration, that's the most recommended way of determining CERT1 activity, or at least test the effects of the inhibitors, which of course would be an indirect, but yet um, rather precise method. Now, both melatonin secretion and CERT1 activity have circadian rhythms. Both of them are under circadian control and exhibit cycles of either high or low amplitude. Moreover, either of them can influence other circadian oscillators. Apart from its known chronobiotic actions via the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the SCN, melatonin and porous influences peripheral oscillators. CERT1 seems to be identified as an accessory oscillator component of that system and increases circadian amplitude by both a central and peripheral clock mechanism. At least one of the mechanisms described is of a relevance for antagonizing age-related decreases in the amplitude of the C SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus output. An additional aspect concerns a conclusion that maybe CERT1 acts as a partial mediator or partial agonist of melatonin effects. Finally, it seems important to remain aware of the fact that there are different phases of increases and decreases observed within a circadian cycle. It's basic knowledge of chronobiology that a specific treatment applied in different phases leads to different, often opposite effects, okay? Because you're dealing with a circadian clock, right? Now, in the context of aging specifically, additional difficulty results in the fact that the non-identical changes observed between the populations of oscillators within the body. 
In a senescent mammal, some oscillators exhibit phase transitions, others reduced amplitudes, and then the extreme down to arrhythmicity, whereas others remain widely unchanged. So collectively, all these variabilities summarized, at least to this point, oppose any expectation of finding exclusively unidirectional relationships by applying melatonin, sirtuin overexpression, or modulation of melatonin or sirtuin activities, including the manipulation of NAD. Paper published now in 2018, so some almost four years ago now, three and a half years ago, actually. We know that eukaryotic lifespan might be associated with elevated expression of sirtuins. And this was first talked about in yeast, which of course is a not a multicellular organism, it's a unicellular eukaryotic model, right? That was first published back in the 1990s. This is where the sirtuins get their name. Back then, they were called the silent information regulator or SIR2, S-I-R-2 gene. And it was shown to increase the replicative lifespan of yeast when upregulated. I mean, it's just basically cell division was enhanced by SIR2 expression. Now, that's interesting because if SIR2 is acting as a deacetylase, you would think that maybe it would slow down replication, but not in the yeast system. So SIR2 silences transcription actually of the HM mating type loci in young yeast, but it relocalizes to ribosomal DNA as cells age. And that apparently prevents DNA damage that would contribute further to more yeast cellular aging. So upregulating the expression of SIR2 reduces DNA damage, this has been demonstrated, and increases the lifespan of the yeast cellular lineage. Now, after a thorough characterization of this SIR2 was shown to have the uh, canonical histone deacetylase activity, now we know that that activity requires NAD, or nicotinamide dinucleotide oxidized form. Now, for mammalian sirtuins, you have seven, at least seven isoforms all been characterized, and they're shown to have important beneficial roles in aging, longevity, and stress phenomena where sirtuins may attenuate some age-related diseases. This was all coming out in the late 90s, early 2000s. So mammalian, mammalian sirtuins are NAD-dependent deacylases with a huge range of roles in transcriptional regulation, energy metabolism, modulation, cell survival, DNA repair, inflammation, and of course, the circadian rhythm regulation we've been talking about. SIRT1, now it's got a T at the end of it, SIRT1 is found in the nucleus and also in the cytosol. So it's amphibolic. And along with histone deacetylation, SIRT1 also modulates transcription factors, such as P53, nuclear factor kappa light chain enhancer of activated B cells, that's NF-kappa B, and also the FOXO transcription factors. But not to be excluding the peroxisome proliferator activator receptor gamma coactivator 1, PGC1-alpha, plus DNA repair enzymes, particularly those that are linked to poly-ADP ribose 
polymerase 1 or PARP1. So SIRT2 is a cytosolic and SIRT3.5 are located in the mitochondrial matrix. And they have roles, both of the, all, all, all four of those sirtuins have roles in oxidative stress and lipid metabolism, interestingly. So SIRT6 and 7 are nuclear-specific sirtuins with roles in gene expression, somewhat working as transcription factor co-adapter molecules, actually because of their control over acetylation of the genome and the chromatin associated with retailering for gene expression. And also those sirtuins 6 and 7 maybe play a role in DNA damage repair. So what sirtuins do is they conduct deacetylation, but also depending on which isoform you've got, you get demalinylation, desuccinylation, and mono-ADP ribosylation. And all of those essentially are a different type of deacylation. So sirtuins have not been shown, however, to deacylate thioesters, which is interesting in terms of the revolution. Now, I will remind you that proteins go through a great deal of processing. First of all, at the RNA level, you can get alternative splicing of precursor RNA. You can also get many post-translational modifications, PTMs. And um, before we get to that, recall you have single amino acid polymorphisms or SAPs. So proteins can have multiple speciation is what we're saying. Now, in terms of the PTMs, you get covalent cleavage of specific peptide bonds to form a new peptide backbone. Those are like convertase products, right? You also get covalent attachment of a whole group of chemical uh, moieties. And those are usually associated with a nucleophilic side chain residue. So you get what? Well, classical phosphorylation, alkylation, acylation, glycosylation, and of course, oxidation and other potential modifications like we just mentioned, malination. So the acylation specific specificity can be N-terminal, and the N-terminal ones are carried out by enzymes called N-terminal acetyltransferases, or you can have side chain of internal amino acid residues. Those can be catalyzed by acyltransferases, and you can also get some non-enzymatic modification. And when you get... Lysine deacylases, these are known as KDACs. You've got four different forms, classes 1, 2A, 2B, and class 4. And then class 3 is kind of separate. All those class 1, 2A, 2B, and 4 are all zinc-dependent HDACs. That's histone deacetylases, okay? However, class 3 are NAD-dependent sirtuins. So there's the first branch point. Now, all of those then, we told you there are like seven different forms in mammals, but they they also follow classification subspecies. So class one is CERT 1, 2, and 3. Class 2 is CERT 4 alone. Class 3 is CERT 5. And class 4 is CERT 6 and 7. There's also a class subscript U, which is just now being described. So several sirtuins are involved. Now, let me introduce you to a uh, cluster of differentiation, CD38. This is a multifunctional ectoenzyme. That means it's either secreted or it's bound to the membrane, so its activity is outside the cell, an ectoenzyme. 
<coughs> and what that enzyme does is metabolize NAD and it mediates nicotinamide dinucleotide and extracellular nucleotide homeostasis. In so doing that, enzymatic activity. It also has intracellular effects of intracellular calcium movement, and it's considered by itself a surface marker, and it's used to identify T lymphocytes. So CD38 is on T lymphocytes. Then we mentioned this particular CD protein many times before, so it shouldn't be any surprise to you. Many, remember a lot of these CD proteins play very significant roles, not only in acting as receptors, but also as co-adapter molecules, for example, for antigen presentation to T cells, right? Right. All right. So the labs that have been looking at this um, have been uh, capable of demonstrating that CD38 is actually an NAD catabolic enzyme. That's what it does enzymatically. And its activity is linked with a couple of very important physiological and pathophysiological uh, end notes. One is infection. The other is aging, what we're talking about today. And third, of course, is tumor genesis, which can be linked with aging and infection. So CD38 is expressed as a membrane component of immune cells, as I just said. And it's in response to stimulation by cytokines endotoxins, usually from bacteria, and in fact, interferon, where interferon is regulated by a promoter region containing the binding sites for transcription factors like NF-kappa-B, the RXR, that's the retinoic acid orphan receptor system, the LXR, and the STAT-JAK pathway. That suggests that, because all of those play a role, that suggests that CD38 is playing a role in the pro-inflammatory response, and indeed it does. I mention it here because CD38 is associated with a large drop in cellular NAD. And that significantly alters metabolism and signaling and perhaps gene expression. So hello, deacetylases known as sirtuins. Inflammation-driven relocation of CD38 expressing immune cells during an infection or during aging, or during tumorigenesis, might well corrupt the NAD homeostasis in parenchymal tissues or the tumor microenvironment, thus altering cell fate ultimately, and perhaps even tissue integrity or cellular integrity. Okay? So a lot of phenomena then associated with CD38. Now it's a multifunctional protein, widely expressed in cells from the immune system, as I said, so it's found with macrophages and also with T lymphocytes. It also has a soluble form that you find in biological fluids like the serum. CD38 expression is upregulated by an array of inflammatory mediators, as you might guess, and it's frequently used as a cell activation marker. Studies in animal models indicate that CD38 functional expression often confers protection against infection by several bacterial and parasitic pathogens. In addition, infections, infectious complications are associated with an anti-CD38 immunotherapy. So although CD38 displays a receptor and enzymatic activity, as we're saying, uh, and that those contribute to the establishment of effective immune response, more recent work has suggested that CD38 might also enhance the immunosuppressive potential 
of T of key regulatory leukocytes, which ones? M2 macrophages and perhaps even T regs. So keep in mind then that CD38 is associated with host defense, particularly associated with infection. Now, paper published back in 2016 told us that CD38 is there positioned in the cellular membrane with its catalytic site facing toward the extracellular matrix. And it is a type 2 EOIPSO, over 90% of CD38 acts as an ecto-NADase catabolizing beta-NAD. Now, I will tell you this, too. The nicotinamide moiety can occur in two orientations, and it's anomeric carbon, so it has two diastereoisomers. It's the beta-nicotinamide diastereoisomer of NAD that we talk about when we're talking about biochemical pathways. That's the one that's biochemically relevant. Beta-nicotinamide, because of that chiral center. Now, during aging, as aging increases, um, NAD levels drop, mitochondrial function drops, but CD38 levels increase. So as aging advances, CD38 increases, that means more NADase activity, right? Ecto-NADase activity. All this during aging. But, of course, that means that NAD will drop, and because of that, it appears that mitochondrial function drops as we age. Okay? So given the abundance of intracellular NAD, you wonder what that extracellular catalytic site can do. Well, CD38 metabolizes extracellular NAD precursors like nicotinamide mononucleotide and nicotinamide riboside prior to their entry, these are all, of course, scavenger uh, pathway intermediates, prior to their entry to the cell, which ultimately supports NAD biosynthesis. Indeed, some labs have demonstrated that the ecto-NMNase activity of CD38 plays a really significant role in the regulation of nicotinamide nucleotides during aging, and this, of course, is all discovered and discussed in a murine model. You ask the question, why do NAD levels decrease with age? Well, could be that increased expression of that NADACD38 is responsible for the NAD decline and ultimately for mitochondrial dysfunction, again, an older rodent model. And this seems to be a CERT3-dependent association. So CD38 also metabolizes the NAD precursor, nicotinamide mononucleotides, we just said. And of course, that would modulate the response to NAD replacement therapy, which is sometimes being suggested. All right. All right. So full scope now, when you have NAD or NADP, that comes from the oxidation of either NADH or NADPH, you've got an N-ribosyl bond, right? And so CD38 will pass a water over that bond and it will make ADP, um, well, it'll make, it'll actually make three different products. It'll either then, okay, after CD38 functions and you get NAD glycohydrolase activity, you will get an intermediate called ADP 
R, okay? That's adenosine dinucleotide phosphoribosyl. That is, that will generate that and free nicotinamide. CD38 working through the ADP ribosyl cyclase will make a cyclic ADP ribose phosphorylated form plus nicotinamide. And with a base exchange reaction, which is associated with DNA repair, as we might uh, note, you make NAAD, which is nicotinamide acid adenine dinucleotide. So nicotinic acid adenine dinucleotide plus nicotinamide. So in addition to the NAD glycohydrolase and ecto and an ACE activity of CD38, as I've stated, the enzyme catalyzes base exchange reaction. It's going to lead to the exchange of vitamin B3 bases. Now that reaction is optimal in the presence of excess nicotinamide analogs and it requires low pH. However, suggested maybe being in the phagolysosome, right? However, this reaction can also be catalyzed at physiological pH that would be relevant then to associations in the nucleus or in the uh, bulk cytoplasm or also in the mitochondrion. Now, one of the potential molecules that can be generated by that reaction is this nicotinic acid derivative NAD, NAADP. Okay, again, that is a nicotinic acid adenine dinucleotide. Also keep in mind the base exchange reaction operates in vivo and when in excess, nicotinamide analogs are therefore made available, right? Once that reaction is in full swing. So hopefully we've covered enough ground now to be able to give you a pretty good description of what's going on with NAD metabolism and sirtuins. Now, I want to end this lecture today by explaining to you most of what we discuss in intermediary metabolism is associated with either bioenergetics or either degradation or anabolic pathways, right? Normally when we're considering oxidation of nutrients like glucose, fatty acid, or amino acid, we're talking about oxidation of those um, carbon sources. And then the, that means, of course, the removal of electrons and those electrons along with a proton end up into NAD to make NADH. Okay. Now that NADH, you know, gets reoxidized in the very first complex one of the electron transport chain back to NAD. And then electrons and protons gener generate that chemiosmotic gradient. Remember, the electrons are moving through then the quinone pool, and we talk about complex two and complex three, four, and fi finally ATP synthase, complex five, all embedded in the inner mitochondrial membrane, all associated with oxidative phosphorylation when the entire system is complete. And in that process, those electrons are driven to molecular oxygen in this aerobic system in humans to make H2O. So that's the most common consideration for NAD. NAD is involved then in redox too, of course. So not only in its oxidation to drive electrons and protons to make ATP, but the redox and quenching reactive oxygen species, where ultimately that final reductant isn't NADH, but NADPH, right? That's the final reducing agent in the cell. 
And we know that NAD and NADP can be in constant flux with each other via a transferase reaction, a nicotinamide transferase reaction. So the important issue here is to bring in the new flavor of understanding that NAD can be used for deacetylase and in larger sense, deacetylase reactions, particularly the deacetylases, removing acetate from lysine residues on histones, for example, will cause chromatin to be retailored in such a way that it often becomes less open for transcription global, but open to more specific transcription specific. And this can lead to such things as the secretory phenotype of senescence. It can lead to autophagy or reorganization of the cell, but still maintaining its integrity, or it can lead to programmed cell death, different forms such as apoptosis, ferritosis. Also, as you recall, if DNA repair is added to the mix, you can get either a senescent phenotype or you can end up with cell proliferation leading to tumorigenesis. You see now why sirtuins and NAD are so critical to this pathway. And with NAD decreasing as we age, and the CD38 being partially responsible for this, you can see how the whole chromatin retailering and bioenergetic pathways will be mitigated by these responses in association with immune cells like T lymphocytes with CD38 on the surface acting as an ectoenzyme, and also with some leukocytes, particularly the macrophage lineages. So that's Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios, helping you have a good Friday uh, and bye for, or Saturday, excuse me, bye for now.